and welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. I've just had the most ridiculous conversation with Monica because someone wrote in the comments that why does it always look, Freddy, like you're melting in the videos? And honestly, I don't know why. Maybe because I'm in a small room when I record them. They always get quite warm. But Monica said, look, why don't we just try and put a bit of powder on your face? And I said, Monica, are you, are you suggesting that you put makeup on me before we start the video. I just, I think that's a line we maybe shouldn't cross at this point. So we've just had a two minute conversation with Monica saying, look, I'll just put a bit of powder on your face, just in some specific areas. And I said, Monica, that is just, it's just too far. So apologies for my appearance if it always looks like I'm sweltering, but please don't worry. The winter months are coming and I'll be completely the opposite. I'll be shivering soon. Thank you everyone for, thank you, as always, everyone, for getting in touch with all of your stories, please continue to do so. Comment section below, brilliant place to do so, as well as email hi at tuesdaydobs.com if you've got a longer story, maybe with some pictures. And I try and share some stories and photos as well on the Instagram page, Tuesday underscore at underscore Dobbs. One other thing, I've had such brilliant stories, insights, and feedback from, from the 1970s, 80s, and even up until the 1990s for the, the old school, the older generation's biking stories. It's just been so enjoyable to read and go through. And I've got another couple I'll share at the end of this podcast episode, but I would love, love to maybe just begin the process of creating a book and it will be something in line with the lost biker stories. All of these stories from the 70s and 80s bikers, regardless of where you're from in the world, what biking was like back then. 60s, 70s, 80s, that type of era. If you do have stories and you're in theory happy to share them, any pictures as well, I'd like to see how much feedback I can get and if it's possible to make a book so these stories don't get lost. You can send an email the usual Tuesday at Dobbs accounts, but also I've set up a dedicated email address, thelostbikerstories at gmail.com. So please do get in touch. I begin with what I think is some good news. This is, let me just minimize this. Is the used motorcycle market starting to correct itself? I think I saw this when Moto UK was chatting to Mr. Darcy and the old man about the, the ridiculous used prices in the motorcycle market over the past probably two to three years now, especially, well, exactly since COVID. The market has been ridiculous because parts have been hard to come by and all of the bike manufacturing stopped for a considerable amount of time, pushing up used prices of motorbikes to such a ridiculous level that it wasn't completely uncommon for used bike or used bikes of one to two years old to be the same price or more than a brand new one. It got completely out of hand. A good way I can check this, I often look at the old bikes I've owned and I have a look at the prices of those bikes and I was shocked to see when I last checked, this was a few months ago, bear in mind, that a, well, that a 2013 onwards, Triumph Speed Triple would go for around about £7,000 sterling plus. This was a few months ago. So I just went on today to have a look 
is the market really correcting itself? And I'm delighted to say Triumph Speed Triple 2011 model, so a couple of years older than what I was looking at, but still that exact same model range. Prices have now dropped down to four and a half thousand pounds. I'll give a few more examples of the market correcting itself. I typed in Royal Enfield Intercept onto Facebook Marketplace and guess what? The interceptors can now be bought for under £4,000. I would say that's, I think, the first time I've ever seen prices this low. I found one here, £3,500 for an interceptor. And you can see here, three out of the four interceptors, interestingly, interestingly, Facebook Marketplace on this page have all been reduced. Next up, Indian Scout Bobber, one of my favorite bikes, beautiful bit of American machinery. Again, half of the bobbers on this page, prices reduced on Facebook Marketplace. But here's the interesting thing. Look at the amount they've been reduced. Look at the reductions. One here was advertised 12,000 pounds. And if this is a 2019 bike, that would be almost bang on the price it was brand new four years ago. And it's been reduced from 12K to 9.5K. Another one, 10.5K to 9.5,000 pounds. And the reductions continue across the board. My old Triumph Speed Triple now can be bought for 3.5,000 pounds. And I'll do one final one, BMW R9T. £6,000. I really, really believe that from this winter onwards, prices are going to be going right back in line with fairly close to what they were like pre-COVID. I think this will be the first time where we're getting back to some sensible used prices. I move on. A low light bike. This is from David. Freddie, I bought a Hunter 350 this year. I love it but it's too heavy for this 66 year old and my feet only just touch the ground. Any suggestions for a lighter, lower bike? This is relevant, David. And it's a really useful, pertinent question for not just older riders, but shorter riders as well. Anyone below five foot five or so, five foot four, five foot five will struggle on a lot of these bigger bikes. And while you've made a good choice with the Hunter, I, I know of a bike, although I've never ridden this exact one, but I know of a bike that I think would be just about perfect for either the shorter and or the older rider. And that's the Honda Rebel 500. See, this is the smaller version of the 1100 and the seat height is just 690 millimeters compared to the 790 millimeters on the Royal Enfield Hunter. Now it is a good 10 kilos heavier than the Hunter. So the Rebel is a heavier bike, but these Hondas have a really nice weight balance. The weight is low down and I really think, David, this will be a much, much more manageable bike for you. In fact, let me see if I've got it on the desktop here. There is currently a Honda Rebel 500 on Facebook Marketplace for £2,750. That means it's cheaper than a used Royal Enfield Hunter. So price-wise, you may well get away with not having to spend any extra money on one of these Rebels. And they're meant to be very good bikes. 
Hope that helps, David. And if it does, let me know how you get on with The Rebel. Moving on to Alan. Have a listen to this, because I welcome your thoughts here. Freddy, I need help. Honestly, I do. I have a 1200 GS BMW from 2005, and I've suffered a fuel pump casing issue, which ruined my holiday to the TT, that's the Isle of Man TT, this year. On contacting BMW, I have been fobbed off, quote, not their problem. I appreciate it's a 2005 model bike, but they have had many, many recalls regarding the fuel pumps in one form or another, and I'm not prepared to let this company walk all over me. I'm going to make as much noise on this one as I can because it's just not right. It's a principle kind of thing. I'm 70 years old, I've had many bikes, not one has ever let me down in this form, and never ever has a company treated me in this disgusting way. If there is anything you can do to help, it would be much appreciated. Cheers, Alan. Alan, I had a similar issue with my, my Jaguar. It was aluminium bodied. And these were famous the first few years of this model. I had a 2005 model, same as your bike, funnily enough. They were famous for the aluminium oxidizing and starting to bubble. It was a well-known fault. And I bought this car when it was a good 10 years old, 10 years old or so. And I contacted Jaguar to see if there was anything they could do because a few people said, Freddie, look, this is a known fault. Jaguar may, out of courtesy, even though it's way, way out of warranty, help you out. So I contacted Jaguar. I spent about a week or so liaising with them and they said, look, it's just way, way too out of warranty. There's nothing that can be done. And I left it there. And after dealing with all of that, speaking to Jaguar, I learned from that. Unless you're maybe within a year or so of your warranty and there's some goodwill element, I would, I would cut your losses, Alan, in terms of you will not get a penny from BMW. I really don't think so. I think whether it's a biking brand or a car brand, they're under no obligation to fix your vehicle the second it's one second out of warranty. I, I probably, in my opinion, I don't think they will give you even a penny towards fixing the BMW. It's just so far out of the warranty period and coming up to a 20 year old bike, you know, even if it was a five year old bike out of warranty, I would still say they're not going to give you anything. I cannot see them giving you anything for that at all. And my personal view is once a vehicle is out of warranty, let's assume it's a fair warranty at two years or so, and it fits in with your country's consumer rights so let's say two years you're completely covered if something breaks once it's out of that my personal view probably is that we we can't expect anything from these brands however however it is only my opinion and i welcome anyone else sharing their thoughts or stories whether you agree with me or alan or not alan good luck though good luck i hope you you manage to sort it out the mighty Hayabusa. I had so many people 
getting in touch about Hayabusa's with their stories, their thoughts on them. This is a bike that generated or has generated way more interest than I thought. I'll start off with a story and I will hide the identity of this person for reasons that will become apparent. Freddie, when Hong Kong returned to China in 1997, I left the Royal Hong Kong Police and returned to the UK. I shipped back my Yamaha 1200 VMAX, and I'll put pictures up here, both VMAX and Suzuki Hayabusa from this, this person who wrote in. I shipped back my Yamaha 1200 VMAX, hoping to bring some excitement to my thoroughly depressing new life working in a large London-based consultancy firm. I then sold it and bought a brand new black and silver Hayabusa, which came out in 1998. I had one of the very first. At the time, the Kawasaki ZZR 1400 and Honda Blackbird were the fastest bikes on the road, but the Hayabusa was being touted as the first 200 mile an hour superbike, and the British spec was completely unrestricted, unlike the Japanese, EU and EU versions at the time. Suffice to say, I couldn't resist taking it over 200 miles an hour, which I did in a jurisdiction I have no plans to identify. I've, I've never, butting in here, I've never heard of anyone go above 180 on a motorbike. That is, it's beyond eye-watering speeds. That must be so far into the tunnel vision where everything's just streams of light past you. I continue. To many it was quite an ugly bike, but that was because of the advanced aerodynamics and long wheelbase needed to cruise comfortably and smoothly at over 150 miles an hour. It was a very comfortable bike and perfect for long distance touring, but ultimately England proved far too boring for me and the risk of being incarcerated for speeding was far too great and so I returned to the excitement, warmth and spice of the Far East from where I've embarked on many long global or many long distance global adventures on various types of motorcycles. None quite so fast. On my last day that I had my Busa, I was chased by an unmarked police car on the motorway as I pootled along at 120 miles an hour. Slow down, what do I do? Slow down and accept my fate or escape? I had a flight the next day and so I opened up the throttle and hit a turn off at a fair old lick and on a lean like a MotoGP bike with no sign of my pursuers. What a brilliant bike. But in this day and age, how long would you keep your license and indeed freedom if you hurtled along at 10 times the speed limit on the A470 in Wales? Yeah, not long. Let's call you Julian. You You wouldn't keep your license long at that speed. 200 miles an hour, that is phenomenal. I move on, Bib the Boulder. Suzuki Hayabusa, butt ugly, unnecessary, too fast, pointless. I've just run in my sixth, a generation three. Ain't no other bike like it. 
Moving on to English veteran, Freddie, I would say the Suzuki, I would say that Suzuki were actually late to this show in regards of very fast sports tourers. The Kawasaki ZZR 1100 C1 arrived in 1990 and was an immediate success. Kawasaki then upgraded the ZZR C to a D1 in 1992. That had a top speed of 180 miles an hour, two up comfort for fast, long mileage cruising at 50 miles per gallon. Some relativity that is more economical than my Triumph Bonneville. The brake horsepower was 150 from the 1050cc engine. In 1996, Honda released their Blackbird Sport Tourer, which was a slightly quicker uh, which was again slightly quicker, and then, only then, Suzuki with the larger engined Hayabusa in 1996. I owned a ZZR 1100. C1 and C2, we travelled all over Europe, Scandinavia and North Africa without a hitch. Rear tyres, however, rarely lasted more than a thousand miles. That means I would have had to change my tires potentially three times on the Africa trip. I still have my D1, but it needs recommissioning and I haven't ridden it for quite a few years, sadly. Many wonderful, happy memories. Let's have a look at this. Okay, ZZR 1100, first of the, the big hyper sports tours. Next up, Honda Blackbird, and then came the Suzuki Hayabusa. Right, I've had a look at these. Let's have a look at these two bikes, Kawasaki ZZR 1100 and the Blackbird. I had a look on the, the classifieds, and one thing I'll tell you about these, if you're going to be looking for either of these bikes, these are not quick sellers. I don't think they've entered the desirable phase yet because the ones I found have been up for sale for quite a while and prices are fairly seriously low for these. Here are two I found. I'll start with the Kawasaki ZZR 1100, Facebook Marketplace, £1,900. Now this one needs an MOT, but the reason I mention this one is because this has been owned by the same gentleman don't know if it's a gentleman, the same owner, for 23 years. Beautiful condition, 58,000 miles on the clock. And the only reason he's selling, he's just not riding it much. It's done almost no mileage in the past few years. The MOT ran out in August, so two months ago. But this looks like as straight a Kawasaki ZZR as you can imagine. I love it, it's almost that jelly mold style, plastic everywhere. I think these are going to start coming into their own, I think. Maybe in the next five to six years or so, but clearly they're close to, fairly close to rock bottom at the moment. Two and a half K will get you a good one with MOT for the Kawasaki. Maybe they started creeping up a bit, but that's the Kawasaki. Moving on, Blackbird. Now this is a newer model and it's also a Honda. So we're pushing on here now, at least with the, the modernity level and Honda probably even another level reliability up from the Kawasaki. And one big thing here, the Honda Blackbird is 
let me check here, fuel injected, at least from the year 2000 and onwards. So have a look at this. This is such a lot of bike for the money. One of the original Hyper Tourers. 2000 model Honda Super Blackbird, 2,350 pounds. For a fuel injected Hyper Tourer, 28,000 miles on the clock, all in black, Current owner since 2016, great servant, never let me down on the odd trips to the UK, around the UK and Europe. Bike's been in storage for the last couple of years and is no longer being used. However, I've put a new battery on it, new fuel pump, and the bike is now good. It has a full MOT. So this is genuinely ready to go. Again, similar to the Kawasaki, completely covered in plastic, but this, this is quite a good looking bike, especially all in black. Beautiful condition. The thought that you can get, there's the touring setup with all the panniers on. The thought that you can get so much bike in such beautiful condition with the, the bare minimum of modern factors of modern elements that really I need, i.e. fuel injection. That's all I care about. I just need fuel injection for everyday use. Well, this has it and it's 2,350 quid. That is so much bike for the money. I move on. 2,000 miles, two up on a Royal Enfield Interceptor 650. This is a lovely insight into German biking from Benedict and Victoria. Picks up as I discuss. This is Benedict, 33 years old, based in the hipster capital of Berlin, Germany. I did my full license at the end of July this year and straight out went into planning my first trip together with my girlfriend who lives with me in Berlin but is originally from Greece. I should never really seen most parts of Germany. We thought doing a full round trip, which would be a great way to do some vacation to, vacationing together and also show her the rest of Germany. So we did 2000 miles on my Interceptor 650, fully loaded with side bags and a fuel tank bag. We didn't know what to expect, but were blown away by the lifestyle of a motorcycle tour holiday. Not having planned much except a, a rough route and some places we wanted to check, we lived day by day and decided the night before where we will spend the next night. Staying mostly in guest rooms slash pensions with no more than a double bed and sometimes, if you're lucky, your own shower and bath. This trip felt like pure freedom and a true modern adventure. The sheer amount of people coming up to us and asking about the bike was astonishing. We had a minimum of two interactions a day with strangers wanting to know things about the bike or our trip, seeing a Berlin number plate being far away from home. We met a lot of other bikers on the road, mostly older BMW GS riders, fully kitted out with all the expensive parts you can order, but realised that we are by far the only young ones, which made me think, why are all the people in my or our generation riding superbikes or sports bikes? During our 12-day trip, 
Often older people would come up to us being interested in our story, but also complaining about the noise and speed of exactly these super and or sports bikers. I always saw that as an opportunity to show them the Interceptor 650 and tell them about the concept of a modern classic. Not sure if I could crack all of their prejudices, but at least I gave it a try. As I am now. Okay, let me save the, the next bit for the next bit. This is a very, very interesting point. It seems like in Germany, you're, you're far more inclined to buy performance-focused motorbikes than any of the modern classics. And I apologize if I'm generalizing massively here on both the British side and the German side, because in the UK, of course, some people like the sports bikes and the super nakeds. They are super nakeds, fairly popular still. Sports bikes, unpopular now. Very, very unpopular with regards to new sales. Super nakeds, they're pretty popular. Modern classics are now the really big popular niche that's growing very quickly. And of course, we've always liked adventure bikes in the UK. But I had, this was probably about a month and a half ago or so, when I was doing a video about the Classic 350. I had two German bikers and they both messaged me almost a, a complete carbon copy of each, each message, but they weren't related or connected in any way. Both of them said to me, Freddie, I cannot understand the UK's fascination with the Royal Enfield motorbikes. Surely, surely a BMW 310 GS or KTM 390 is a similar price and a much better bike, no? It's funny because they just couldn't understand why in Britain we would favour, a lot of the time, not always, but why in Britain we so often favour buying a bike that is on paper much, much worse than what is in theory a competitor. Why would you buy a Royal Enfield Classic 350 when there's a BMW 310 GS available. The BMW 310 GS is so much better. But that means you're only taking into account spec sheets if you're looking for a motorbike. Nothing else matters to you. So if you're looking for a bike and all you care about is a spec sheet, it means that you will always be chasing those stats. You'll always be chasing buying the next bike with the, the most amount of horsepower, the latest amount of gadgets. Buying a modern classic bike is about the feeling and the soul of a bike. So I wonder if in Germany, it's, it's a different attitude towards biking. Of course, you always build extremely impressive machines such as BMWs and cars as well with VWs and Audis. But in Germany, it sounds to me like there's still far, far more of a focus on the performance of the machine over the soul element of it. And I'd love it if anyone has any input on that because it's so interesting. I really don't believe now we have a ludicrously colossal issue in the UK with super sports bike riders revving up their, their engines hugely. I very, very rarely see that kind of thing. Although again, I, I welcome it if someone thinks I'm wrong with that, but that's a really interesting insight. I continue with Benedict. As I'm fully in love with my new hobby and motorbikes in general, I'm already looking for another bike to add to my starting collection. Last week I stopped by Kraftwerk in Berlin. That 
you should definitely visit whenever you might be in Berlin. It's a combination of a motorbike community spot, DIY workshop and cafe that opens its doors for guests, usually during the weekend. After arriving there for the first time, I quickly ended up sitting, uh, sitting on and driving an old BMW R80GS. Yes, that's a lovely bike. That's been for sale by one of their members. Cross your fingers that my wallet allows me another purchase. Greetings from East Berlin, Benedict and Victoria. Benedict, I, I had to open this page. This is Craftwork in Berlin. A little bit in English, so I could just about navigate the website, but of course, most in German. This is one of the coolest looking biker spots I have ever seen. So what I think you can do here, and tell me if I'm wrong, it looks like, and I'll put pictures up here because it's off the scale cool. You can work on your motorbike, to the best of my knowledge, maybe hire out a little section to work on it, or a mechanic can work on it there. You can work in a co-working space, so bring your laptop down and work from this spot. You can grab a coffee there, you can chill out, and there are bikes stacked up on bikes on the side, beautiful old BMWs and what's that, maybe a Harley Davidson, and the most classy working space with herringbone tables. I think they quote, I think if this is right, 25 euros a person for, for working from the co-working space. Oh, it looks fantastic. Benedict, next time I'm in Germany, and I would like to get over to Germany this year if possible, the first place I'm going if I go to Berlin, hand on heart, is Kraftwerk Berlin. I move on. 1970s and 80s bikers. These, these are just incredible. These are some of the, the reasons, as well as last week, why I thought I have to try and get a book get a book published of the untold stories of bikers. These stories must not die. I begin and I'll put pictures up as I read these out. Freddie, thought I'd share some pictures from the early 1980s UK. They were great times that can never be repeated. So glad I was in my teens and early 20s at the time. Enjoy the pictures. Regards, Mark. I'll just give you a moment to soak up some of these pictures because the fun that must have been had is, is absolutely phenomenal. Some of these pictures need to, to be prints or posters. They've got that, that timeless element to them. It's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And on to Gary, Freddie. I thought I'd dig out, or I thought I'd dig around for some photos of me and my mates from around late 1970 to the 1980s. I'm the one on the left, again, pictures up, I'm the one on the left of two of us sitting on the wall. The photo of four of us around sitting around a campfire is me, Jeff with Dag and Dave. We were all at school together. I'm far left with Dag beside me. He remembers my first day at school, aged five, mates ever since, the photo with the white van in. I'm the one on the right opening a pack of fags and the girl in front of me was my girlfriend at the time. 
Other photos are of our biker gang. We had some wild times. All of us in the photos became very successful in life. Gary, you know what? I can just imagine exactly what it was like looking at these pictures and it's everything that goes with the photos, you know, drinking some beer, the style, the outfits. These photos are just incredible. Pitch black midnight beers in front of a bonfire, chatting away, laughing away. Oh, it's magical, magical, magical times, Gary. Thank you for sharing that. I'll move on and I'll wrap it up here. Bike of the week. This is from JB in Scotland. Freddie, a Ducati scrambler alternative with retro looks. Due to selling so well and having so many fans, so many Yamaha XSR 700s are about second hand and it means there are a lot of bargains. Great parallel twin engine, parts availability, customizable, lightweight, and Japanese reliability. Freddie, what more do we need for adventure? JB, these, these always, always, always get good reviews from riders. If I go onto MCN, for example, Yamaha XSR 700, 2015 to 2021, MCN rating five out of five. Although a lot of people do say MCN's ratings are, are nearly always four or five out of five, but Owner's, owner's reliability, owner's rating overall, 4.8 out of 5. Now that is impressive. So what can we find on the used market? How enticing and how appealing has the XSR become? Let's have a look and see what I can find. Here we go. 2016 Yamaha XSR 700. 4,000 and 99 pounds. So as near as makes no difference now, you can pick up an XSR 700. It's like I said earlier, prices are correcting. 4,000 pounds. This has got 24,000 miles on the clock. It's in that beautiful, beautiful deep green. It has, well, let's have a look here. Two owners, and I'm quoting here, a like new Yamaha XSR 700 cafe. Lower mirrors, brand new golden chain, radiator guard, running smoothly, ready to go, just jump on it. Enjoy your time with this beautiful bike. Really a bargain, based in London. This is just getting more and more exciting now. To know that bikes like the Yamaha, like the ones I've mentioned before, they're coming down now to where they should be, to affordable prices. That is a brilliant bike that I'm sure will never do you wrong for £4,000. All the levels of modernity that you could ever dream of, all that beautiful classic styling, stripped back nature, your entry into the biking world, four grand. It's brilliant. And I'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this week's episode. Have a brilliant week, all. Speak to you in the next one.